You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. 3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Oh, yeah. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to 3CR Breakfast. Today is... Tuesday the 13th of December and it's 7am. My name is Fung and in the studio with me are Ivka and Jasmine. Um, How was your weekend? Lots of fun, lots of good music, sun, it's nice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um, we were saying before that, you know, it's like the first time that such a big event has been put on. Um, How did it feel personally to be around lots of people? Really nice. Um, I was reflecting on it yesterday. Everyone, like all the patrons, everyone was just really kind. Um, And I think I just had a really nice attitude. I think everyone was just really grateful and excited to be back at an event like that. Yeah. And um, were you able to, I mean, did you have any favourite acts that you got to see? Many. Yothi Indy was definitely a highlight. Sharon Venetton, I feel like I could li- keep listing them. Pretty much like the entire... Pretty much the entire festival, yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Jasmine? Mm, um, I think, yeah, likewise. Likewise. The welcome was really, really beautiful, though. Um, yeah, everyone had an opportunity to get smoked, which really set the tone um, for a really inclusive, respectful festival, I thought. Yeah, mm. that sounds really nice. How was your weekend? Um, it was really lovely, yeah. I mean, it was so... I felt so grateful to have that one day of really lovely weather. Um, And so we were down by the um, peninsula, which was really lovely. And, um, but I always feel like a little bit suspicious when it's a nice day. Like, how long is this going to (laughs) last? Turns out not very long. Yeah, not very long. Um, No. Um, Well, we've got an exciting show for everyone this morning. Um, so right after the news headlines, Ivka, do you want to tell us what we'll be revisiting first up? Yes, we'll be hearing an interview with Nick Fox, a member of a Warburton Environment Community Group that have had a we- recent win. Awesome. And then coming up at 7.30? We're going to hear a speech from Mary Tulao talking about about the Pacific Global Youth Movement that's pursuing the full UN prohibition of nuclear weapons ban. Yeah, awesome. And then after that, Jasmine, you'll be speaking with someone? Yeah, so we're going to have a chat with Bettina Cooper from Mob Strong Debt Help just to discuss the government's announcement um, regarding the Eupla Funeral Fund and how um, this has um, already rolled out since its announcement earlier in the year. Yep. 
And then at 8 o'clock, we'll be speaking to Katia, who is a community lawyer and advocate and long-term member of Melbourne Activist Legal Support. Um, Katia is also a very good friend of 3CR, and she'll be on the show to talk to us about um, the arrest and imprisonment of Violet Coco and the impacts that these new protest laws will have on activists and protests um, uh, in Victoria as well as New South Wales. And then to finish off the show today, we'll be speaking to Dr. Claire um, Lochnan from the University of Melbourne. Uh, Claire is a lecturer in criminology there, and um, she'll be speaking to us about the Fifth International Conference for Carceral Geography, which takes place um, both online and at at Melbourne University starting today, so from 13th to the 15th of December. So that's our show for this morning. Um, We'll be back with the news headlines right after this. 3CR programs provide information and analysis you won't hear in the mainstream. Today we'll be looking at the legacy of the US war on Vietnam on Laos. And as far as corporate capitalism is concerned, it is the worst political and economic system that you can have. Our laws about jailing refugees and asylum seekers are so well crafted. Sex is not irrelevant and we like who we are, but we don't have to be imprisoned by our gender. Become a subscriber today. Call us on 9419 8377 or visit 3cr.org.au. 3CR, the voice of dissent. Welcome back to 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. Here are the news headlines for today. Iran has executed its second prisoner detained amid the national, na- nationwide protests now challenging the country's theocracy. Last week, Iran executed the first prisoner detained amid protests that have expanded into one of the most serious challenges to Iran's theocracy since the 1979 <coughs> excuse me, Islamic Revolution. Activists warned that others could be put to death in the near future, saying that around a dozen people had so far received death sentences over their involvement in the demonstrations. And returning to Australia, the federal government, um, it was reported yesterday that the federal government would be um, slashing the number of um, psychologist visits for Australians seeking mental health treatment. So it was reported that patients would only be able to claim Medicare rebate for 10 visits to a psychologist or allied mental health service next year, down from 20 visits that people have been able to access in recent years. In August 2020, the number of sessions available through the Better Access program was temporarily increased from 10 to 20. Um, According to the Health Minister, the evaluation of the program found that additional services were going to existing patients and that new patients were unable to get into the system. But the review of Better Access did not recommend that the extra 10 sessions be abandoned. Instead, it recommended that patients undergo a review after 10 sessions instead of the review that currently happens after six visits. The review states, the additional 10 sessions should continue to be made available and should be targeted towards those with complex mental health needs. In other health news, from the 1st of January 2023, Australians will require a referral from a medical or nurse practitioner to access Medicare-funded PCR tests. 
the government has agreed to extend its 50% funding for state-run testing sites where free PCR tests will continue to be available. However, the number of state-run sites has been reduced since um, the COVID-19 peaks in 2020 and 2021. The plan said that there is no public health requirement or recommendation for low-risk individuals to seek PCR testing. This news comes as Chief Medical Officer Paul Kelly warned the emergence of new variants, um, meaning that uh, COVID waves are still expected until at least the end of 2025. At least a dozen climate activists um, are facing possible jail time over protests in Sydney city, city Centre this year after being charged under the same laws that led to Violet Coco being handed a 15-month prison sentence. Court documents um, that were seen by Guardian Australia show um, a string of activists linked to Blockade Australia um, who have been charged under the laws, which introduced a two-year jail sentence for protests that block major roads, bridges or tunnels in New South Wales. The bulk of these charges relate to two protests on 27th and 28th of June this year. At the time, activists uh, marched from Hyde Park and through the Central Business District um, in what police are calling um, an erratic, unlawful assembly that caused serious disruption to pedestrians and vehicles. Um, and we're going to be talking about these laws and its negative impacts on the community in our interview with Katia later this morning. And lastly, the federal nationals have hardened their opposition to an Indigenous voice to parliament after Anthony Albanese confirmed the body would reflect a report created under the former coalition government. The party's leader, David Littleproud, said there's no position where the Nationals' decision would change now after coming out against The Voice last month. Um, And that's it for our news headlines this morning. We'll be back with a song uh, right after these messages. The sun is shining, or at least it's attempting to. So get your picnic blankets out and gather your mates and stock up on your summer wine. So excited that our summer wine fundraiser is back. This year we're selling delicious wine generously provided by 3CR supporter Jamshed Wines. Just $20 per bottle or you can snap up even more of a bargain by buying in a dozen or half dozen lots and mixes. Order online 3cr.org.au forward slash shop or call the station on 9419 8377 during business hours. Jamshed Wines is a 3CR supporter. Did you miss 3CR's broadcast of the inaugural historic first Trans Pride March Melbourne on Sunday 13 November? Perhaps you want to break a binary and listen to it again. Well, either way, you can. It's now available for listening at 3cr.org.au, Trans Pride March Melbourne. Join in the historic occasion and support our trans and gender diverse communities here in Nam. 3CR Radical Radio, proudly supporting trans and gender diverse people as part of diversity in NAM. 3cr.org.au, Trans Pride March Melbourne. Beaming even on, beaming even on me. Oh. 
Next up we have a track for you by Supertar. This is a punk band based in Nam and this is their track Bootlicker. Bootlicker by Supertart. Next up, uh, Warburton Environment is a community organisation dedicated to protecting the forests of the central highlands of Victoria. After two and a half years of grassroots campaigning, the Supreme Court handed down a judgement against Vic Forests, the state-owned logging business, in favour of Warburton Environment that will increase protection for the endangered tree jeebung. We're going to play you an interview that Annie McLaughlin had with member of the community group Nick Fox on Solidarity Breakfast on 10 December 2022. We've got Nick Fox from Warburton. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, Annie. Yourself? <clears throat> I'm good. <coughs> I'm lying. I'm coughing. <laughs> oh, well, I might be too. I'm recovering from COVID at the moment, so I do have this lingering cough, but hopefully it'll be subdued during this interview. Yeah, yeah. Well, you had great news last week, didn't you? Oh, we did, we did. So um, we have been working out in Warburton. I'm, I'm part of Warburton Environment, a wonderful community group. Uh, we had uh, the orders of a Supreme Court case handed down, our final judgment, on Wednesday um, after two and a half years of fighting in the Supreme Court against the state's uh, logging company, Vic Forests. We um, have got orders that basically are in our favour, saying that uh, the Vic Forests have has been logging illegally in areas of the Central Highlands, which is uh, where the where endangered tree species called the tree jeebung, it's a long-lived understory tree, has now 
uh, protection. So we set we have set a precedent for endangered flora species in the state of Victoria against being illegally logged. Oh, congratulations! Mm. Yeah, it's been a long it's, fight. Oh, it has been a long fight, and look, it, it's um, it it's a roller coaster. Uh, you we've had. Ten, four, uh, something like 40 different hearings. Uh, in the beginning, we were fighting for each tree debung in each area that was being logged. Um, and it, it really, it started back in the beginning of 2020 when uh, we had the massive bushfire still burning in January. And then we heard that Vic Forest was going to log just out from Warburton. And... Uh, you know, there was a group of us just said, you know, we know that logging, um, it destroy destroying the older, wetter forests leaves a much more flammable regrowth, which significantly increases our bushfire risk. And we went, no, we don't want this logging happening so close to our homes and community. And that's that started it off. And then um, when we realised in an area that they were going to log just out from Warburton, um, there was this, uh, at that point, it was vulnerable. Um, tree G-Bong, and mm. one had already been destroyed. We went, how, we, you know, we need, we, we will try and stop them however we can. And that was um, luckily on the back of another court case, the Possums Court case, which was a very big one. Um, Justice Mortimer, uh, in that case, uh, said that Vic Forrest had destroyed tree G-bungs and had not abided by the precautionary principle, which is a, a you know, a legal term. Um, and on the back of that, we went, right, let's file this court case, and we did in June 2020. And, yes, the decision, uh, the judgment was handed down at the end of October, but the final orders came on Wednesday, and we are very, very, very happy. Yeah, yeah. It started, you said to me, that it started off with a six-week community campaign, a picket, basically. Yeah, well, yes. So um, we knew these trees were in there. We also knew that Big Forest had not detected them in this area that was to be logged. And that we, because one had already been destroyed, it had been rolled over by a, uh, by the logging contractor just with it uh parking one of the machines. I mean, these are long-lived understory trees. So a tree that is uh, considered mature is just 10 centimetres in, in, in breadth um, at, 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 uh, at breast height. And so a mature tree that's, you know, 19, 20, 21 centimetres could be like 400 years old. Um, and, and so one of these had been destroyed and we were right... Um, how can we protect the rest of these trees until we can in somehow, you know, permanently protect them? And so we decided to, to do what a community does when they are protecting their loved ones and their homes. And um, we, we decided to start um, campaigning, and we did. And we campaigned the government um, at the same time we were uh, stopping logging out there. Um and we ended up, though trees that were there, the tree jibong that are in that area, apart from that one that had already been destroyed, are all protected. Now, um, tell me, you said that Vic Forest hadn't detected the trees there. So 
No. Oh, uh, but your environmental group had. So your members yes. have been on the ground doing mm-hmm. the work that uh, we expect the government to do. Yes, this is right. And so this, throughout this court case, and it, it's been, uh, you know, we we put in um, evidence that was uncontested um, that there are, that the government agency is meant to detect these trees. The only way you can protect an endangered species is to know it's there. Um and so what we were doing was going into these areas to see if we could find these, well, a species that needed to be protected. And it so happened that the tree G bone was in there. And, yes, so our orders now, um, which are legally binding, um, actually state that any area where a tree G-bong in the Central Highlands, it's endemic to the Central Highlands, um, could possibly be found, so five kilometres from uh, any other sighting, needs to have a survey done throughout the whole coop with a coop is an area that's to be logged. It can be anywhere between 20 and 30 hectares usually. Um, Has to have a 30-metre transect survey done in it looking for this species which is law it should have been being done anyway um now it is mandated and it'll be um necessary for the government agency to make sure that they do that before and then of course when they do find them each mature tree debunk now has a minimum buffer of 50 meters around it that needs to be put in place so it's it that that buffer around it will protect it we know historically that these trees when they're left just standing alone will be will will die um, from wind throw exposure uh the post log Burns are often something that'll kill them. So um, that means that every tree uh, has now protected unless it's uh, not practicable to do so. And the judge has made it very clear that in most cases it, it is practicable. Right, okay. So uh, it's been a long road. How did, you, yes. your, how did, your, how did your group maintain focus? Because it's very hard. Uh, Oh, yeah, look, a community group. We're all volunteers. We all have other jobs. We all have, you know, lives and families. It's a great question, Annie. We, we, we're we just so passionate about um, stopping native forest logging um, and we knew that we needed to continue to, to hold the line to... Um, to continue to do to do well, I think we think of the future. We think of future generations. We think of um, of what we are doing and what we're protecting. And to be honest, Annie, there's other many other groups all together, coming together, sharing experiences, supporting each other. And we made sure that we did that. We made sure we came, we come together with other groups and we also come together as a group and support each other when we need it. Uh, it it's been a long road and thousands and thousands and thousands of volunteer hours. Oh, it's a great victory. It's a great victory. Yes. Uh, yes. The, the, uh, the other thing is that how are you going to keep them? Uh, you'll have to be vigilant, won't you? 
Oh, we definitely will be vigilant. I mean, we've come this far. We will, we're out there. We're still detecting the tree G-bungs. We're making sure in areas that are being proposed to be logged that, um, that we are aware of where these, where this species is and that they are being protected. Um, it, it's, it isn't over. What we need is a complete end to native forest logging. It's been proven now. Um, there are a couple of other cases that also had judgments handed down in November um, uh, for uh, for fauna species. The government agency is not fulfilling their um, obligations. They're, they're Ill- illegally logging. It's It needs to be wound up now for so many reasons. So, yes, vigilance will definitely, 2023, we will be holding them to account. Thank you very much for (laughs) alerting us to this great victory, Nick. Yes, uh, my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me on, Annie, and um, just sharing that, um, you know, the work still needs to be done and would love support wherever we can um, from people that this the, the, this wood chipping industry, because we do know most of it goes to wood chips, needs to end and uh, we'll be fighting for that 2023. That was Nick Fox chatting with Annie from Solidarity Breakfast about the recent court win against Vic Forest, increasing protection for endangered trees in the central highlands of Victoria. Next up, we're going to play you a cover of um, Carol King's 1971 song, You've Got a Friend. The cover is by Jem Cassadaly, who teamed up with Rural Aid to record this cover. When you're down and troubled
Jem Casadaly's cover of You've Got a Friend. Now we're going to play a speech by Mary Talao, who speaks about self-determination and the Pacific Global Youth Movement pursuing the full UN prohibition of nuclear weapons ban as part of an event, Reverse the Trend Pacific, which was hosted to mark the International Day for the Total Elimination of Nuclear Weapons on 28th of September. Um, everyone, uh, thank you, Dimitri, and thank you, Vela, for sharing. As part of this uh, International Day for the Total Elimination for Nuclear Weapons, we are reminded of the nuclear aggression and its multi generational trauma, the testimonies of the veterans that we just heard, and the community's resilience that have deepened its activism amongst youth in the Pacific and diasporas today. Just like the weaving of the mat, the nuclear advocacy come a long way. It's a process. To put into context, the weaving of the mat begins with the pandemic leaf is cleaned, cooked, sun-dried, after it has now been collected and rolled and stood until it's ready to be woven by the Matai's experts, who is then ready to weave in carefully the intelligence patiently. When the process of mat weaving has concluded, what we see before us is a complete mat. For the outside world, it is the complete mat that they see. Whereas for the weavers, the matais, they see the knot that holds the mat together. And this knot represents the core values that hold us together. The weavers are the guidance of the ocean who we see today as the young people. The mat is used in different ways we use it to celebrate life, to solve conflict, to discuss nuclear ways, or to self-determine our sovereignty. Also, it is important to note that the Matai can identify the origin of the match. The Matai is also represent the continuing mobilizing and solidarity work the youth is carrying on from our Matais. Our met holds the stories and our ongoing struggles we have today, to name a few, self-determination, climate crisis, nuclear justice, the protection of our blue Pacific, young people addressing corruption, banning of deep sea mining, LGBTQI issues, young people with disabilities, policy writers, artists, entrepreneurs, etc. These are the scope of 
the different issues that the Pacific youth and diasporas are advocating on. It is the fabric of issues that makes the map. We see our ocean as this map. There is not enough data or mapping scope on what the young people in the Pacific and diasporas are doing. This, this begs for more research to cover the vast and diverse issues that the MET holds, that the young people are leading. Again, to our Matais and everyone here today, it is my pleasure to be part of this synergy of dialogue on how we can continue to strengthen our advocacy and engagements in the Pacific. Nuclear-free Pacific and self-determination struggles are two issues that are close to my heart. Both these two issues represent and urge us all for a collective voice and solid action. Pacific Youth for TPNW uh, advocacy and diplomacy uh, compresses of individual delegates representing Pacific grassroots and civil society organization. And the Pacific Youth for TPNW is part of a global youth movement pursuing the full extension of the UN's treaty on the provision of nuclear weapons. Also, the Pacific youth have continued to rally the non-states and relevant state actors to contribute to the development of a potential nomadic framework and institutional architecture for humanitarian responses and environmental action of the nuclear aggression and its impact on the health, environment, and human rights of the Pacific communities. Self-determination, on the other hand, in regards to the importance of self-governing of, uh, of our sovereignty, there is no easy solution to, to resolve self-determination struggles under the current SDG goals framework and the 2050 strategies of the Blue Pacific framework. Yet we all know that although the end of 2020 marked the third decade of the eradication of colonialism. There is at least six non-subgoverning territories from the Pacific listed at the UN decolonization committees. At this time, there are non-subgoverning territories such as West Papua, Bougainville, and not listed uh, in the uh, UN decolonization community. Against this case of West Papua's rights to, uh, to self-determination is mobilizing weavers has been effective to address the grassroots and conflict while as maintaining a strong solidarity movement. Um, to conclude our collective uh, voices as Matai bags for greater engagement that goes beyond the top-down approach the contextualization of the regional issue, such as the nuclear free Pacific and right to self-determination struggles as a bottom-up approach is critically important. As stewards, we continue to compel our collective rights of our land, our ocean, our culture, and our ways of living. Our call to self-determine, our safeguard and protect our narrative is Hours to liberate Vinaka. 
That was Marion Talau speaking about the Pacific Global Youth Movement pursuing the full UN prohibition of nuclear weapons ban at Reverse the Trend Pacific event. To find out more about the event, check out rttreversingthetrend.org slash rtt hyphen pacific. Mary is part of a group of Pacific youth determined to raise their voices against the twin existential threats of nuclear weapons and climate change that threaten the Pacific region and the world. We'll be back with our first interview after these messages. Tuesday Breakfast would like to thank our friends at Living Coco for their support of the program. Living Coco puts community first by respecting food sovereignty. Based in Braybrook, they create bean-to-bar chocolates, cacao tea, intentional drinking cacao and cacao mass in bulk. A zero-waste manufacturing space, Living Coco ethically sourced cacao from over 130 domestic village farms in Samoa. They are at livingcoco.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Three CR would like to thank our sponsors, Earth Greetings, cards that connect, care, and celebrate. Support wildlife and habitat with every purchase. Inspired by nature, giving back to the planet. Learn more at earthgreetings.com.au. So here you are, too foreign for home, too foreign for here, never enough for both. Ujoma Umbinyo Diaspora Blues. What makes you smile and adds a spring to your step? What does it mean to belong? And how do we build a home away from home? Diaspora Blues is a show that contemplates what is and what could be. Join Ayan every Monday at 2.30pm on 3CR Community Radio. Treat CR Community Radio, 855 AM. Next up, we're going to play you a track by Alice Skye. This is her um, 2021 track, Party Tricks.
Alice Skye with her song Party Tricks, which is from um, Alice's 2021 album, I Feel Better But I Don't Feel Good. For decades, the private private funeral insurance company Eupla, also known as ACBF, had aggressively sold poor value funeral plans, plans almost exclusively to Aboriginal people, including children and babies. Now, 17,000 Indigenous families have been left with nothing, many after paying tens of thousands of dollars over years since the collapse of the company. Funerals and sorry business play a special cultural role in First Nations communities. Eupla sought to deliberately exploit these communities through loopholes in financial laws and consumer protections. Successive governments and regulators have been on notice of the misconduct and the regulatory gaps that facilitated it for nearly three decades and did nothing to prevent it. 
Earlier in the year, the government announced that it would honour benefits for policyholders of the collapsed funeral fund UPLA, who had an active policy as at 1 of April 2020, so that they can now cover funeral and sorry business costs. This is an important step to this forward and the Save Sorry Business Coalition will continue working with governments to develop an enduring resolution for the remaining policyholders over the next 18 months. Today we're joined by Bettina Cooper, a Buendik woman and Aboriginal financial counsellor at Mobstrong to discuss the government's announcement and how this will <coughs> excuse me, how this will help those impacted by UPLA. Welcome Bettina. Uh, yeah, good, thanks. How are you going? Um, yeah, you're right. What you're saying is, is correct. They have put a pension scheme in place, um, but that scheme does run out in just under 12 months now. And uh, that's, that's a bit of a worry because we don't have anything in place yet to be on the pension scheme. And we actually know now there's more than 30,000 people that have been harmed by this. Yeah, and can you tell us a, a bit more about the government's announcement and what this will mean for those people who have been impacted by um, having a policy with UPLA? Yeah, so this short-term announcement means if somebody has passed who had an active uh, ACS UPLA policy on the Thursday April 2020, they can actually apply through the, the Treasury's website and they can go through the process of applying for that funeral expense to be paid up to the benefit amount that was covered for. Uh, it's a very culturally friendly process. We work very hard to make sure they can do it through um, by phone or by a paper document or with the support of a financial But once um, once we get to 30 April 2023, that's being more closed and then unless there's something else set up, there will be nothing to bail people. Um, uh, can I just ask, Bettina, I'm so sorry, we're just struggling to hear you on the line there. Is it possible to move to somewhere with a bit better, a clearer reception? Uh, is that better? Yeah, that's so much better. Thank you. Um, we also just really wanted to um, hear a little bit more about the work that you're doing at Mobstrong um, beyond um, what you're doing to assist policyholders with the rollout of the commitment by the government. Yes. So not just Mobstrong, but all those financial councils across Australia are assisting any Aboriginal or First Nations person who needs to apply for this uh, interim funds, they can go to a financial counsellor and they can assist them with the application. It's an application that it just simply needs to provide a proof of passing of the deceased. That can be anything from a letter from the doctor or it can be a death certificate. They're, they're helped going through the form and they just explain whether they want the money to be paid to them or they're paid to the funeral company who's providing the funeral. And it's quite a straightforward process. It takes it, it takes only a week or so to get the forms in as long as you've got the documents and then it'll take a few weeks after that to get the payment. But the issue is that what we're trying to do is get the government to actually um, come to the party in relation to funding something for the, all people who are harmed by this, this funds collapse. And we've been speaking to the government. Actually, we were only in Canberra two weeks ago where we spoke to 17 different members of parliament asking for them to make a long-term resolution that will support all those harmed. And because we've actually done a lot of talking to community and community have asked for a couple of things. They want their money back. Uh, looks like we've uh, 
just been disconnected from Bettina. So uh, we'll go to a break and we'll try to get her back on the line. Join us for the 2022 edition of The Change, Definitions of Freedom, Interactive Theatre, 7 to 9pm on the 16th of December at the Honda Showrooms, Hoddle Street. We're also having an exhibition and preview from 5pm Thursday 24th of November at the store, Abbotsford Convent. Find out more on Facebook at The Change Definitions of Freedom, The Change is presented by United Struggle Project, a 3CR supporter. I've had a few jobs over the years. None I've really loved. A mate suggested I use my skills to teach. Turns out I only needed to study for under two years. Now I'm in demand in a secure career I love. Come on, kids, gather around. Are you ready? Fast track your study and start teaching sooner with an accelerated learning program. Visit vic.gov.au forward slash teach the future. Authorised by the Victorian Government, Melbourne. A 3CR supporter. Accented women. It seems so obvious to me that if you live in a, in a completely violent um, cultural milieu that it's going to translate into every aspect of women's lives. Accented women. What's a border? They don't see it like a big wall right along the... How the can country. people live ordinary lives when they're living in such an extraordinary situation where there are, two, where there are armies there and terrorists there and such conflict every single day of their lives? Accented Women. A show by and about women from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds. On Community Radio 3CR. Boobap Jazz. The Milky Way looks good in the night skies. The stars open a short for my dark eyes. Complex hey, I'm Lady Lash. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, the voice of the set. 3CR is so awesome, giving the platform for people's voices to be heard and people's gifts to be heard. And always remember that you are amazing. We are now joined by, by Bettina Cooper um, to continue with the interview about the announcement by the government regarding the collapse of the UPLA funeral fund. Hi, Bettina. Sorry about that. No, no, that's fine. Yeah, so we were just discussing, so, you know, obviously this was something that was really horrific, um, but, you know, we've, we, we understand that there had been years that the government um, was advised about the funeral fund. How can we avoid this happening in the future? Well, one of the ways we can avoid this is that the government actually allowed this to be the first and only funeral insurer on centre pay. And they actually made centre pay the vehicle for this financial abuse because that is why the company profited so much. So one of the things they need to do is review the use of centre pay by Corporate Australia to make sure other organisations aren't taking advantage of people on welfare by being allowed to be on centre pay and deducting the first lot of monies before even people feed their families. When they've put companies on centre pay, they're basically giving them the government stamp of approval. And that's what they do with ACBF. And that's one of the reasons why they need to give people their money back or come with an enduring resolution that stops the financial hardship that's come out of it. 
Yeah, and so obviously paying the money back, you know, is a good first step. But what else do you think needs to be done um, to to make reprimands? Look, ASIC needs to be bold um, in relation to making sure when a company does misstep and do the wrong thing that that can be um, course corrected early on. But also First Nations people and First Nations consumer advocates need to have a voice that allows them to advocate with these companies directly. One of the things we're asking for in relation to Centrepay, for instance, is that there's a direct first uh, financial counsellor hotline that we can contact them and make complaints early on because the complaint system for Centrepay at the moment is incredibly full of friction and difficult to do. It took one of our lawyers three hours to find out how to complain to them. Um, had ASIC and the government and other organisations jumped on this much quicker, then the, the harm would have been minimised. Had they never been allowed on centre pay, the harm would have been a, fritch, a fraction of what it is in the moment. Mm-hmm. And, of course, everyone who was a policyholder has been deeply affected by this collapse um, and the funeral fund. <clears throat> but were there communities hit harder than others? Yeah, so there were some communities, particularly um, Palm Island in the Yarrabah, up in northern Queensland, they had, uh, I think, 30% of their population were affected by this with because of $1.5 million taken out of one of them, which is a significant amount out of a very small community that's predominantly First Nations. Uh, we know that you know, Queensland and New South Wales are the two hardest-hit states, and we know that Early on, they went out to missions. They went out to areas known to be highly populated by First Nations people and targeted those communities. And it's unfortunate that um, that was allowed to continue on right up to near the end. Mm-hmm. And we understand that the rollout did begin earlier in the year. How has it gone so far? I've, I've heard reasonably positive comments that people who are relieved because prior to this interim short-term scheme, uh, we had uh, First Nations people with bodies sitting in morgues and with an ability to find the money to bury their people because they'd already made sacrifices and put money aside to save through ACBF and UPLA that they were unable to come up with a second lot of money to do that. So this scheme is providing that that short-term solution for... It'll help about 500 families we think of the 30,000 people affected and for them I'm grateful for that interim solution but I am looking forward to an enduring resolution that will support the 30,000 harmed. Yeah and when do you think we can expect to see such a resolution rolled out? That's a great question. Uh, Last weekend I was down in Canberra for the week I I spent um, a lot of time in different meetings and I'm really hoping and encouraging that something will come out in the May budget and that that would be a good outcome because if it's not, there'll be nothing in place before this interim scheme closes on the 30th of November 2023. Were there any clear commitments made by the government during that meeting? No, not at this time. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Well, that's actually all we have time for this morning, Bettina. Um, thank you so much for joining us and sharing a bit of insight Um know, such a horrific thing to have occurred, um, but it is positive at you know, this time to hear that some resolutions are, are moving forward. Thanks very much for your time, Jasmine. Thanks, Bettina.
That was Bettina Cooper speaking about the government's announcement to honour benefits for policyholders of the collapsed funeral fund Luke Eupla and how it has already begun to be rolled out. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children aged three and four can access 15 hours per week of free kindergarten. In a kinder program, children learn through play, art, music and dance. Qualified teachers create culturally safe places for Aboriginal children and families. Koori kids shine at kindergarten. Find out more at vic.gov.au forward slash koori dash kids dash shine. Authorised by the Victorian Government, Melbourne. A 3CR supporter. Next up, we're going to play a song for you. We're going to share Stand Your Ground by Gowana. When you wake up one morning and they're pounding at your door, telling you your business and what you
playing in the background was the song Stand Your Ground by Goanna. You're listening to 3CR Breakfast. It's 8am and we are now joined by Katia Lalo. Katia is a community lawyer and advocate living and working on Woiwurrung country. Um, She's a long-term member of Melbourne Activist Legal Support and furthermore is a good friend of 3CR, doing OBs and is also part of the board. Katia is here to talk to us about um, the arrest of Violet Coco that happened a few weeks ago for her part in um, the peaceful climate protest calling for more support for firefighters. As we know, New South Wales, Tasmania and Victoria have introduced these tough laws that are punishing and criminalising people for peaceful protests, disregarding and infringing international human rights standards. Welcome to 3CR Breakfast, Katya. Thank you for a good morning Tuesday breakfasts. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Um, Can you start by telling our listeners uh, more about the work that you do at Melbourne Activist Legal Support? Yeah, so uh, Melbourne Activist Legal Support has, I think, sort of started or originated around the um, Occupy movement. So there was a group of uh, amazing community lawyers that were doing advocacy for people that were arrested during that uh, protest. Um, And then over the years, Melbourne Activist Legal Support has um, done a lot of legal observing. So we go out and we monitor police interaction or um, acts at protests and use of um, force. Uh, We also do a lot of training, so Know Your Rights training, legal observer training for different activist groups and other uh, criminalised communities. Um, So, yeah, we've been around a while and I think the work is really integral and important to maintaining civil liberties within the protest space. Yeah, definitely, Um, especially with the increased presence of police at at protests, um, it does feel better knowing that there are people looking out for... Um, protesters and I think if listeners um, may have already seen uh, Melbourne Activist Legal Support out there you've got the bright pink um, vests on at protests so yeah that's really important work that you're doing. Um, We've talked about this on 3CR Breakfast already to some extent but could you talk us through the arrest and sentencing of Violet Coco? Yeah, so Violet was uh, part of an action uh, in April earlier this year where uh, she was part of a climate action that stopped a lane of traffic on the Sydney Harbour Bridge. Um, She was just recently this week sentenced to a 15-month period in jail with a non-parole period of eight months. Um, And her sentence, her lawyer is currently in the process of appealing her sentence, but she actually has been... um, She's now in custody. She's incarcerated. She wasn't granted bail until her next sentencing hearing or till the appeal goes through. Um, so she'll be in prison until at least March of next year, waiting for her sentencing outcome from the appeal. Yeah, and here on the station, we've covered extensively extensively the draconian protest laws here in our own state um, especially when they're used to punish activists standing up for the environment and for communities affected by climate inaction can you tell us what violet coco sentencing means for the future of protesting in victoria as well as new south wales yeah so these laws and as you've said you've spoken a lot and i know 3cr's covered this a lot um but yeah the laws that are in place in new south wales and also Um, in Victoria around forestry and Tasmania and I think there's some laws in Queensland which are similar as well um, are all very similar in that they um, punish 
anybody that uh, impedes on economic activity. So New South Wales with um, Violet Cocos Matter was closing down a major road. Um, in other areas, it's around impacting, say, the economic uh, activity of a port or in Victoria, it's around logging. Um, and, in, and specifically, uh, the Andrews government introduced that um, under the guise of protecting logging workers. But we know that uh, several unions have come out and opposed the laws and said these laws actually don't do anything to protect logging workers and can harm logging workers if they're trying to take industrial action as well. So um, these laws are really about protecting, I mean... Uh, in essentially protecting capitalism, so protecting economic activity uh, at the cost of um, protecting our civil rights to protest. And so it really minimises that civic space that we have the right to take part in to question our government's actions and to question the actions of large corporations, which therefore has the effect of silencing people, silencing people around really important causes that matter to us. Yeah, like you said, Katia, it really is just another way in which the government is prioritising, like you said, capitalism and neglecting the environment and all of the communities that are currently affected and will <clears throat> continue to be affected by by the, this negligence um, in the future. And it really does seem that the ways in which we can fight back are just growing smaller and smaller at this rate. Mm. Yes, they are. And I think that, I mean, it's, it's really scary because I think that um, particularly in Australia, being a country that experiences a lot of privilege for, and I won't say for everyone, I obviously, we know that there are many groups within Australia that experience extreme oppression, but um, especially in a country where we appear to be quite comfortable. And I think that um, as these laws um, come into place and people don't actually stand up and fight against them, we slowly all lose our ability to speak out. So it's really scary that these things are happening. Is there anything that we can do to ensure that our rights to protest uh, are being protected? I mean, that's a tricky question because I think um, as, you know, as we've seen in Violet Coco's um, case, there's been a huge uh, outcry from civil liberty groups, um, from legal organisations, even uh, unions, and even the UN Special Rapporteur on um, Political Assembly has uh, spoken out against it, saying that these are draconian laws and they punish people's right to, to protest. So it's really tricky because as individuals, I think, and as community groups, um, you know, we can really try to speak out on it. But if governments aren't listening to us, it becomes really difficult. I guess one of the things that people can maybe do is, um, you know, look at the work, obviously jump online and look at the work that different civil liberties groups are doing, in, in, particularly in the laws around forestry and logging in Victoria, um, Friends of the Earth and other um, organisations, Environmental Justice Australia are talking out a lot about it, so getting in contact with them. And I think just figuring out ways, if you're protesting or taking part in civil disobedience, um, to take care of yourself and others. And I guess, you know, getting in touch with MELS, definitely. MELS, do a, Melbourne Activist Legal Support, do a lot of training to support activists around legal observing, um, but also... Um, you know, taking part in training that, say, organisations such as Counteract run around 
safety on direct action. Um, I know Fitzroy Legal Service is updating the Activist uh, Law Handbook at the moment, so when that's updated and comes out, that will be a really important resource. So just really kind of getting across your rights as a protester and also the laws that govern the space uh, and also um, connecting with people that you trust and feel safe with to take part in those actions. Yeah, those are some really important um, tips, I guess, for people who are thinking of um, participating in direct action or or protests in the future. Um, You were saying before, you know, that here in this country we are in some ways, you know, by and large quite comfortable um, and privileged and it's funny to hear, you know, governments in this country talk about how lucky we are and talk about democracy and the freedom to be able to, you know, take to the streets and things like that um, and compare this country to other places in the world, um, it seems quite, you know, hypocritical or contradictory for those statements to be made whilst having, you know, our rights simultaneously limited and restricted by these laws. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It really is. Um, and I think that, um, I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's such an interesting area because also if you're looking at the ways in which um, legally, so under the Constitution, whilst we don't have a right to, um, there's no written right to protest, there's an implied right. So under the Constitution, we have an implied right of political communication. And there's no such thing as, you know, the government's been talking a lot about illegal protests. There's no such thing as an illegal protest because protests are in of themselves um, a way of speaking out about unjust laws. So, you know, we protest is an important part of civic participation. Um, but the ways in which then that connects or then governments make laws to um, criminalise protesters and protest actions and how that um, sort of connects to the criminal justice system I think is also a really interesting one and if you look at particularly um, going back to Violet Coco's matter the magistrate made really severe um, I guess comments when sentencing Violet saying that you know she wasn't a protester she was a criminal Um, and also using really strict um, I guess when you're looking at sentencing kind of using deterrence and punishment which is sort of the um, one of the underpinning principles of sentencing, using deterrence and punishment as a way to come down hard on protesters and call them criminals. So it's um, really interesting because on one hand we have under, you know, we have an implied constitutional right to speak out about the things that are harming ourselves and our communities, but on the other hand we have governments and a criminal justice system that are calling protesters criminals and saying they're taking part in illegal activity. So, yeah, it's really worrying. Yeah, that's interesting that you you talk about that manipulation of language there, Katya, and I think that's a good reminder for people that when they are reading articles or reading statements issued about um, about these activists and protesters to really challenge what's being written and what's being said about um, these groups um, and, and I guess questioning the, the carceral language that's being used to talk about people who are simply standing up for what they believe in and standing up to the government on, you know, climate inaction. Yeah, um, I think that's, yeah. Oh, sorry, are we out of time? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no. Any last thoughts um, there, Katia, about this issue? 
Oh, yeah, I just think on that important part of language and something to finish up on was I think that the, um, obviously because it happened in New South Wales, uh, the Attorney General had been making comments about, and I know the Premier in New South Wales had been making comments as well, as well as Violet Actions talking about um, that they need to balance sort of a proportionality principle. So, you know, that actions shouldn't impede on the freedom and safety of other people. And I think that's an also a really important thing to question because they're sort of using human rights languages around proportionality to create um, false information around um, that any kind of protest action that, you know, blocks a lane for 25 minutes is impeding on other people's human rights to use that lane. And I think that um, when we're talking about proportionality to remember that actually that's about balancing people's actual human rights. So I would just say, you know, to finish on that, that protest is going to cause inconvenience and inconvenience is an important part of bringing to light the things that are inconvenience in people's lives, like climate change, for, for example. So, um, yeah, just an important note around really criti- uh, being critical of that language about when human rights are used against us um, as a way to explain our actions as criminal when really they're about um, calling for um, the safety and security of our community and our environment. Yeah, thank you for that, Katia, and that's a really important note to end on. Um, Thank you so much for joining us here on 3CR Breakfast this morning. It's been a pleasure speaking to you about this, and you've said a lot that's, yeah, cause for a reflection about the use of language, especially um, when talking about these uh, issues. So thanks again, Katia, for joining us this morning. Thank you so much, Fong, and thank you all the breakfasters. Love you all. Uh, so we were just speaking to Katia Lalo, community lawyer and advocate and long-term member of MALS and volunteer at 3CR. Katia was talking to us about the imprisonment of Violet Coco and how the impact, um, how these laws um, will impact on all of us. Uh, to find out more about MALS, you can go to their Instagram at Legal or go to their website www.melbactivistlegal.org.au um, and just to let everyone know if anyone's in Sydney there is a protest happening this morning at 9am at Downing Centre um, pro- protesting the right to um, the right to you know rally and, and protest together um, and fighting against jailing for climate activists so if you're in Sydney um, that rally is taking place today 9am at Downing Centre. Uh, we'll be back with De- uh, Dr Claire Lachlan uh, right after this. Wildlife Victoria is a non-profit emergency response service committed to assisting wildlife in need across Victoria. Our trained and dedicated volunteers rescue and rehabilitate sick, injured and orphaned animals so they can be released back to their native habitat. If you see wildlife that may need our help, please contact us on 8400 7300. To donate or register to become a volunteer, hop onto our website at wildlifevictoria.org.au. A 3CR supporter. Make your gift giving meaningful this year with a festive gift from Children's Ground. A First Nations-led organisation, Children's Ground creates holistic, long-term change with First Nations children, their family and community. Choose from gifts designed by Children's Ground artists or our change-making digital gift cards. You'll receive a digital card to email or to print at home. It's the gift that's guaranteed to arrive on time. Go to childrensground.org.au to shop or learn more. 
Children's Ground is a 3CR supporter. You're listening to 3CR Breakfast. Dr. Claire Lochnan is a lecturer in criminology at the School of Social and Political Sciences at the University of Melbourne. Her research examines the modes, practices and effects of living and working in sites of confinement and on the carceral expansion accompanying border control practices. She's currently exploring practices of neglect as a tool in the externalisation of refugee policies. Claire is a committee member of the Carceral Geography Network and co-convener of the University of Melbourne branch of Academics for Refugees and is on our show this morning to talk about the fifth International Conference for Carceral Geography, a hybrid conference taking place from December 13 to 15, organised um, yeah, here with the University of Melbourne. So thank you so much for joining us, Claire. Thanks for having us on. Thanks very much. Um, can you start by telling our listeners what carceral geography means? Yeah, look, that's a really good question. It's quite a new area of research, and it really emerged out of people working in geography. I'm a criminologist, so it might seem quite distinct from that. But it emerged with a, a number of scholars, people like Dominique Moran, Jen Turner, Anna Schlier, and many others, who, um, as, as Geographers, most of them, um, in particular Dominique Moran and Jen Turner, started to uh, look at uh, conduct research into the kind of the, the spatial experiences of people in castle sites. So, if you think about geography, is is concerned with how people experience space. Essentially, um, they started to look at the way in which carcerality, castle sort of impunitive um, practices. Uh, becoming much more prominent in contemporary society. And in many ways, you could say that, you know, prisons, other sites of confinement are places where governments are increasingly exercising control, typically against marginalised populations. So they started to look into this kind of what we might call the new punitive turn in society, where even though we might have declining rates of crime, we're seeing dramatically increasing rates of incarceration. So they started to look into those practices, the embodied effects of incarceration, the uh, kind of the way in which um, incarceration and other forms of confinement. So I should mention that this is not just looking at prisons, it's looking at places like care homes, Asian disability care, youth detention, immigration detention, and also at how even within border control that uh, people are effectively being punished by being put in confined spaces as a kind of retribution against their attempt to seek protection. So I hope that kind of captures it in some sense, but um, really looking at the, the, the kind of the growth in the castle state. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that explanation, Claire. Yes, I was going to say when we think of carceral spaces, we think prisons and detention centres. But it's interesting to hear you say just now that you're also looking at other sort of spaces that we see day to day that we might consider, you know, more typically associated with care. Yes, yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. I mean, I don't want to also diminish the um, the impact of. Um, prisons, especially upon First Nations people in in this country, because we know that that's the most uh, a profound concern for anyone living in Australia. The very high rates of incarceration of um, First Nations peoples in this country, in particular in youth detention and in our prison system. But often, what 
we escaped unnoticed of the other forms of kind of violence, neglect and abuse and harm that typically accompany, um, often accompany disability, um, supposedly in inverted commas care sites, aged care sites, and even some, you know, we can look at this in relation to child protection and historically, you know, places like orphanages. The places that tend to be associated with care seem to be quite distinct from places that are associated with punishment, yet we're seeing this disturbing coalescence in the kind of practices and um, tendency towards violence in, in places that we normally wouldn't think of as places of violence. And we've seen that with the Aged Care Royal Commission. We've seen that currently with the Disability um, Royal Commission, uh, that the, the lack of scrutiny and the kind of secrecy and, and the way in which people are removed from public sight means there's a greater tendency for violence in these sites. And that's something that I know that um, our colleagues of mine, like Stephen Caruana and others, as part of the, what, what we might call the OPCAT network, which is the official protocol relating to the Convention Against Torture, are really trying to shine a light on not just prisons and detention, but on um, the sites that we normally associate with care. Yeah, um, I've had a look at the program for the International Conference on Castle Geography that begins today, and I've noted that it's such a there's such a plethora of of discussions and panels and keynote speakers that address all of these different spaces. Um, so yeah, that's really interesting to see that there are going to be so many people talking about this issue, not not only in here, so-called Australia, but also overseas as well. Um, just to hone in on some of the most pressing issues, though, um, what are the most significant issues that are concerning our communities here in so-called Australia? And um, what are some of the um, what are we hoping to address in some of these forums and discussions at the at the conference? Um, thanks, Fong. That's a really good question. I think, and, and I just want to say that the program is just amazing. I, I've just been, uh, we've been astounded at the abstracts we've received and, and the amazing diversity of papers. Um, I think this is a program that's really trying to ask the question, what sort of community are we living in if we lock people up in all these different institutions in ways that actually deprive them of the capacity to live a meaningful sort of life that's characterised by a focus on their well-being, because if you look at all these these papers and, and and the sorts of concerns they're addressing, it's really a fundamental question about the sort of community. What sort of community do we really want to live in? Um, and this is um, this is not just a, a reformist project. This is a project that that is asking for, for change. And in many ways, we'll see some of the papers that. Um, are looking at kind of stories of resistance as well, and this is from um, people who are within um, some of these sites, as well as those people who advocate on on their behalf outside of outside of those those institutions. Um, so it's really a call for change, and it's a call for really careful reflection on the way in which I think the harms that are done in these institutions harm us all, whether we're in them or not. It, it diminishes us as a society to, to live in a place where we're locked up at a great time. Yeah, um, I think that's really important to be able to discuss and imagine as a collective other ways of being in our community. Um, it makes me think of 
the forum event that was organised by Fitzroy Legal Service a few months ago um, in collaboration with Homes Not Prisons and a lot of the speakers there were talking about, uh, yeah, just different ways in which we can operate as a society that doesn't have to be based on, you know, a carceral system. Um, And so that seems like, as well as highlighting the current issues, it seems like a really important topic to discuss as well. Absolutely, and we hope that that a lot more will come out of this and it's wonderful to us to make connections with people in Australia and internationally about these issues. Yeah, um, can you, before we go today, can you tell us a a bit about the logistics of the conference? How can people register and attend? Okay, great. Look, there's a, if they go to the Castle Geography um, website, and I can send you the link for it later if you wish, but just Google Castle Geography um, Network or Castle Geography Working Group, and they'll go to that site and they'll find, um, go to events and conference page, find all the details. They'll also find it if they look at the Social and Political Sciences um, uh, events page at the University of Melbourne. They'll find it listed there. There's a link they can register at any time. Um, and it's being held at the University of Melbourne in the Arts West building, but there are Zoom links for all sessions. So all sessions, including the concurrent panels, will be live-streamed, or they can attend in person in Melbourne. Thank you for that, Claire. And, yes, we can definitely provide those links for our listeners in our show notes later this morning. Um, I encourage listeners to um, have a look at the program and attend any sessions that interest them. Here on 3CR, we've interviewed quite a few of um, the speakers there, so that will um, be really exciting. Finally, my last question for you, Claire, is there anyone that you're really looking forward to hearing from at this conference? Uh, Look, there's so much. I mean, there's a wonderful First Nations panel on this evening um, with Mariki Onis, Crystal McKinnon, Eugenia Flynn and Millie Telford. Um, But we've also got Debbie Kilroy and Tabitha Lean presenting tomorrow uh, Bruce Bashani and Hoda Afshar, uh, Irani filmmaker um, as well, Amanda Porter, Maria Janikopoulos, and an amazing um, woman, Indigo Dyer, who's a survivor of psychiatric confinement. So there are keynotes. I'm looking forward to every one of them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show this morning, Claire, and uh, wish you all the best with the conference today. Thanks so much, Paul. Appreciate it. Thank you. That was Dr. Claire Lochnan, lecturer in criminology at the University of Melbourne, co-convener of the University of Melbourne branch of Academics for Refugees, as well as committee member of the Castle Geography Network, speaking to us about the fifth international conference for Castle Geography. Registration for the three-day conference is still open, um, so please visit our website right after the show in order to access the link. So that's all we have time for in today's show. Um, Let's quickly summarise what we talked about today. Ivka, I'll throw over to you. First, we heard an interview Annie McLaughlin had with Nick Fox on Solidarity Breakfast. Nick is a member of Warburton Environment, a community group who the Supreme Court ruled in favour of against state-owned logging business Vic Forests. Next, we played a speech by Mary Talau, speaking about the Pacific Global Youth Movement pursuing the full UN prohibition of nuclear weapons ban as part of the event Reverse the Trend Pacific. Jasmine then spoke with Bettina Cooper, a financial counsellor at MobStrong, about the government's announcement to honour payments Aboriginal families made to the UPLA Fund, the funeral insurance business whose collapse has left thousands with nothing for funerals and sorry business. 
We then spoke with Katia Lalo, a community lawyer and advocate and member of Melbourne Activist Legal Support, who spoke to us about the uh, imprisonment arrest of Violet Coco and uh, talked us through the draconian protest laws that have been implemented in several states in this country. And finally, we just heard from Dr. Claire Lochnan, um, who spoke to us about the Fifth International Conference for Castle Geography. Um, that's all we have time for on Tuesday Breakfast this morning. Stay tuned for Accent of Women right after this and we'll catch you next week at 7am. 3CR Breakfast would like to thank the New International Bookshop, Melbourne's independent radical bookstore and venue, for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. And while you're there, check out Radical Coffee, a worker-run cooperative cafe in the courtyard. Keep up to date with upcoming events at nibs.org.au. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.